beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. And you have 10 things to tell. This show is about connection with each other and with ourselves. And the hope is that the things we talk about here will be fuel for better conversations and a personal awareness. This is an interactive podcast. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Welcome friends to this episode of the 10 things to tell you podcast. I am so glad you're here as we kick off a full set of fall programming here on this show. I have so many great episodes planned for the next few months. And I also want to remind you that I have been sprinkling in some bonus episodes, often with authors that have great books or other kinds of resources that you might want to check out. And those bonus episodes usually air later in the week, and they are not to be missed. I care a lot about the content that I put out into the world, and I really try to make bonus content, any content, worth your while, worth your listening, because I know that we all have limited time. And so I want to be giving you interviews and thoughts that will make a difference in your life. And so I've been sprinkling some of those in. Do not skip those if you see them pop up in your feed. Most recently, I had a bonus episode with the author, 
Jenna Arnold. She wrote a book that I really liked that I read this summer called Raising Our Hands. This is a book about a lot of things, but especially about how white women in particular can enter into conversations about race and social justice from a smart, thoughtful, and informed way. And I really like our conversation. And so I hope you check that one out. And then there'll be a few more over the next month or two. So I just wanted to remind you of that. I was also wanting to remind you of an episode that aired earlier this year. It just keeps popping into my mind for some reason. And I just feel like (laughs) I am really compelled to tell you to go listen to this one if you missed it. It was episode 49. It's from way back in January and it's called Where Are Your Band-Aids? This aired at the very beginning of the year, and I think it's especially appropriate now at the beginning of the end of the year, if you will, the beginning of the school year, if you're a parent or teacher. But the episode is looking at the band-aids that we slap on in our life to just keep it moving. We don't have time to really fix or heal or deal with some of our everyday problems. And I'm talking about like broken appliances to deep-seated therapy issues. Like that episode kind of runs the gamut, but I share some of my own things that I had slapped a Band-Aid on and hadn't really dealt with. And when I decided to finally rip the metaphorical Band-Aid off and actually fix or heal this thing that was underneath, it made a huge difference in my life. And I think that this might be a message that you need to hear as well. So that's episode 49. If you missed it, six, eight, nine months ago, go listen to that one. If you feel like you could do with a refresh on that message, it's a pretty short little piece. So those are the two reminders. We're going to jump right into this topic today that I'm calling Who Brings It Out? That's sort of a vague title. What I'm really going to be talking about today is friendship and a few different aspects about friendship, mostly women friendship, because that's my wheelhouse and probably yours. But in all of my years and years of blogging and writing and being on social media and being in the world, one of the things that I get asked about the most or that someone expresses is a real pain point in their life the most is adult friendship. Women are lonely. A lot of us are. And sometimes it's a season and sometimes it feels like permanence. And I think we don't know what to do with it very often. If friendship came easy to us as children, either by circumstance or by personality, it's very confusing when it's not so easy in adulthood. Or maybe friendship has always been a lot of effort for you. It did not come naturally. And then as life intervenes and we're all busy and complicated and there's lots and lots of nuance to relationships, it just becomes even harder as an adult to foster people in your life that will speak truth, that will be a companion, and that will just be enjoyable. A lot of times I feel like we talk about friendship in sort of these like deep, complicated ways, But some of my best friends in my life, yes, there's a lot of depth there, but also one of the things that I value most about it, it's just a joy. Like they make me laugh. They're entertaining to chat with. We have the same taste and so we can compare notes on things. I don't know. It's just fun. Talking about friendship doesn't always have to be like this deep, (laughs) angsty thing, but I know it also can be because maybe we don't have the friendships 
that we want, joyful or otherwise, or the friendships that we have have either you know outlived their season, but we hang on for lots of reasons, or we just flat out aren't sure how to make new friends. That's a bigger issue. That is not one that I want to speak to super specifically because it's very prescriptive to say this is how you make friends and it's really dependent upon a lot of factors. But I'm going to give you a quick overview of sort of my own friendship journey and why I feel passionate to talk about this subject. It comes up in so much of what I speak about and write about. But I have a lot of feelings on the topic of friendship. I grew up in a really small town, and friends there are very often like cradle-to-grave type relationships. You know, you're practically in diapers with someone, you go through puberty at the same time, you graduate at the same time, maybe you get married and have kids at the same time, maybe you become empty nesters at the same time. Like, that's sort of the small-town cliche, and... I still, to this very moment, some of the deepest, most important relationships in my life came from my hometown. There's a shared history there. There's a shorthand in the way we can speak to one another. And there's something about our old, old friendships that there's like an element to them that never dies, if you will. And I talk a lot about my hometown friends that I'm still in relationship with, like that I text with multiple times a week, and we're still active, active friends. But also this summer, I called one of my childhood friends, a guy, we've known each other since the third grade. And I was calling him because we lost a classmate. We lost someone also from our graduating class who died. And so I reached out to my old childhood friend because I knew he had been friends with the person who passed. And I just wanted to check in. I just sort of wanted to get a pulse of how the hometown was doing around this loss. Now, I had not talked to my friend that I was calling in, I mean, a decade, probably 10 years. And first of all, I dialed the phone. Like I didn't text him. I gave him no warning. And he picked up (laughs) and seemed happy to hear from me. And, you know, we didn't talk that long, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. We didn't like do a whole big catch up on every aspect of our life. But there were these things there that remained. We could just be in conversation without a hundred pleasantries, without all of this backstory of where we've been for the last decade. We could just talk. We were just on the same page. That's rare. And I know this, but that's the kind of relationships that I have growing up in a small town. After I left that town and went to college, I was in a sorority. Now, pros and cons, pros and cons to sorority life. But one of the things that it does do is provide you with friends in your college life from day one. And so even though I was on a big, scary state university campus, I felt like I was already part of a little family. In a certain sense, friends were just served up on a platter. I did not have to do a ton of work for those relationships. So if you're seeing the pattern here, my early life, my young adult life, all of these situations provided friends because I was active in these communities where friendships were abundant, church, sports, the sorority, etc. Like I was a social person plopped into these circumstances with other mostly like-minded people. So I did not have to do a ton of the whole thing where you have to be like, hi, my name is Laura. 
like that awkward beginning of a friendship. So cut to when I moved to Los Angeles, my first years here, I mean, for years, I did not really know how to make friends. I mean, I did all the things I was supposed to do, and not all this was my fault, by the way. I will stand by the fact that I think that friendship in Los Angeles can be complicated for a number of reasons. But the fact remains, I didn't really know how to invite someone to, I don't know, go get coffee together. I wouldn't have done that when I was 22, probably. I didn't want the kind of friends that went out to bars together. That wasn't really what I was seeking out of friendship. I tried to make friends with people I worked with, and I actually did. I have a few great friends that I made on different TV shows that I worked on, and I really cherish their friendship, especially in that specific time in my life. But overall, it was hard for me to make friends because I had never been really taught how to put myself out there, how to expect a certain amount of rejection, how to cast my net wide when looking for friendships in my life. Those are all things that you either have to learn by trial and error or someone has to kind of guide you along that path. You're lucky if you fall into an already great group of friends, if someone ushers you in in that way. That just didn't happen for me for a long time. And I had these longstanding friends that lived in other parts of the country, and most of them started a family before I did. This was before a lot of social media, so it was a little bit harder to keep up, and we ended up being in sort of different stages in life often. And I just had a lot of years where I was really lonely. The two things that I did to alleviate this loneliness And I've talked a lot about this before. I'm sorry if this is a little bit of a rehash for those of you who stuck around for a while, but I think that it serves us to hear how other people have navigated loneliness, even if it's repetitive. The two things that ultimately I did that finally, after years of loneliness in LA, brought me the kind of friendships that I really wanted was I started a book club and I started a blog. So there was a real life element with friends who got together on a regular basis in a living room for hours at a time that really mattered, the in-person gathering and the regularity of it. And then the online component, that was not just a creative outlet for me, that was also a huge example of casting my net wide and just sort of seeing where my people were, trying to find women who were interested in the same kind of things I was, who was interested in kind of playing by the same friendship rules. That had been a big part of what had been hard for me in Los Angeles is that people are flaky. People can be selfish. I know that's true everywhere, but there were really just a whole different set of rules around friendship that when I cast my net wide online looking for other lonely women who were also interested in books and blogging and makeup, all of the things that I cared about, I ended up finding them. I found them through blogging, actually, but I also found them on Twitter. And I also made some mom friends who were local, and they said, let's meet up, let's get together in person. And then those ended up becoming local, real-life friends, but that I met by putting myself out there on the internet. This is not an advertisement for you to put yourself out there on the internet, even though I encourage you to put yourself out there on this show every week. I'm just telling you how I did it and how it worked and how one step led to another. Friends, I want to share with you about this week's sponsor, 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So those are the two things that changed my life. Starting a book club, starting a blog. Since that time, and I was 30 when that happened, almost 31. So for 10 years, I won't say I haven't experienced loneliness in that time, but it definitely has not been the same as the loneliness that I felt. I mean, I I was bereft of friendship in my late 20s. But in the last 10 years, as I feel like I've strengthened some old friendships and made many, many new ones, that also has had peaks and valleys for lots of reasons. I have felt the need to let some friendships fade out. I have had friends sever their relationship with me, break up with me as a friend. I've had friends of convenience and circumstance because we were in the same mommy group together or our spouses worked together or some kind of just sort of timing season relationship. And then I have had friends that I feel like will be in it for the long haul. So it's not like once I got a little less lonely, all was perfect and well, not at all. We all have an ebb and flow, peak and valley to our friendships and what we need and what we desire. You know, sometimes we have very small margin. We can really only keep a super tight group. Other times we would rather have a lot of friends, but maybe keep it surface level. Like that's just where our headspace is during that time. All of that is okay. And some of that is done on complete autopilot. We don't mean to shrink our circle, which occasionally means hurting feelings if someone doesn't make that small cut, or we don't maybe consciously think, wow, the real reason I love hanging out with Jane is because she's not very deep. And I am glad to be with someone who just wants to talk about shopping or The Bachelor or whatever. That might not be a conscious thought in our mind, but that is sort of what we're drawn to in that particular moment. All of that is okay. After I started making a lot more friends in my early 30s, most of my thought process around it was on autopilot. I was just so glad to have the friends that I maybe wasn't all that discerning about it. I was in the baby years. I just needed someone to meet me at the park. I just needed someone that I could text with a quick question. And I think they wanted the same out of me. Like that was just that season. But one day, this was maybe, I don't know, five or six years ago, my husband Jeff said something to me that really stood out and really made me start to pay attention a little bit more. And it was a good thing, but we were talking about our summer plans or something, I don't remember, and we always have a lot of guests that come and visit us at the lake, and we were talking about who was going to be coming that summer, and I mentioned inviting one of my very best friends, my college roommate. She was on the show last summer talking about adopting her beautiful baby girl, but she has been one of my most important friendships. Not only were we college roommates, we were also roommates for years here in LA. She moved here after I did. We lived together. I introduced her to her husband. Like She's one of my best, closest, most soul-connected friends. Her name is Lindsay. And I mentioned inviting Lindsay to the lake in this conversation with my husband, Jeff. 
And he said, oh, yes, yes, let's make sure they come out because you are your best self around Lindsay. And I was like so shocked by that because first of all, (laughs) Jeff is not (laughs) an overly observational person. He also doesn't really talk about feelings and true self and like (laughs) that's not really his language. But the way he said it and then he went on to explain it, I had all these feelings. I was like flattered. I felt really seen that he saw that in me. But I also realized this was sort of on the tail end of the baby years, which I've talked about before. I had a lot of mental health stuff when my kids were small and and I was kind of coming out of it by then. But he had spent a good few years in our marriage with a dimmed down version of me, an anxious, often angry, unsettled version of me. So when he called out that he loves to see me with Lindsay because I sort of come alive when she's around, that I laugh more, that I am enjoying myself more, that I uh, that a core part of me comes out when Lindsay is around, I took so much notice that he said that. Because first of all, he's right. 100% he is right that Lindsay in particular brings out my best self. But second of all, that it was so obvious and obvious in a way that means maybe I wasn't around enough people who brought that out. Maybe some of the friends I had during that time fell more on the convenience side of friendship instead of like a soul connection kind of friendship, which was necessary for me. I needed convenient mom friends, but it's definitely not filling the same kind of hole that those deep connected friendships bring. And something about the way that my husband said that to me made me aware of all of these things, not just aware that Lindsay brought out my best self, that would have been kind of obvious, but also aware that maybe I wanted to pay more attention to who else brings out my best self and make an effort to be around those people more, that it really matters. Now, I was at a moment where I could receive that message in a healthy way. You know, maybe if he had said that a year or two before, I would have been like, yeah, yeah, I love being around Lindsay. Done. End of story. Instead of it being a light bulb moment of, oh, I need to be filling my plate and my friendship ticket, if you will, with more women that make my eyes light up, that I'm truly excited to be around. So one of the things that I started noticing and that I continue to notice now, and that I'm asking you to notice, is that certain people bring out all kinds of different versions of me and different energies in me. And it is not always cut and dry, and it is not always super obvious. So I'm not talking about like the most toxic people in your life that, of course, bring out your worst self or drain you of your energy. Those are easier to identify, and you choose how much you let them in your life or not. I'm talking about the people and the friendships that are not quite so obvious. Like if you have a friend that you think you quote unquote should be really good friends with because you have a lot in common or you really respect this person for lots of reasons, but actually you're exhausted after having a meal with them or spending an evening with them. What about friends that you had a deep connection with But for whatever reason, now, in a different year, in a different circumstance, you find yourself sort of avoiding 
being around them, or it feels like a chore to have a friendship date with them instead of life-giving, which is how friendship works best. I mean, it can't all be kumbaya amazingness all the time. But if you see a pattern of coming home from time with a friend and you're grumpy, you are hard on yourself about the way you look or your choices or any reason at all, versus when you spend time with someone or a group of someone's and it feels good in your spirit, it feels in alignment, maybe not perfect, not all interactions go perfectly, but in general, you feel like, oh, it was so good to spend the afternoon that way. Or, oh, I can't wait until I can do that again. And we just get into habits. And sometimes they're bad habits. We get in habits within friendship groups that we feel obligated to. We get in habits that keeps us in relationships longer than is necessary out of just convenience. Because it's hard to find a new friend and you already have this other friend who's willing to go get mani-pedis. But really, let's just pay more attention to what those interactions are doing. I'm not saying cut off all the people in your life that don't make you like sing to the highest heavens. That's not realistic. But also, there is a middle place in friendships where it's taking up our precious time or brain space, and it's not helping us move forward in our life. It's not helping us in a growth capacity. It's not helping us feel understood or letting us seek to understand others. There might be something different out there for us, or we might just take a minute to look at the friendships who are very life-giving, who have really made a difference to us, and we can acknowledge that and say, hey, Thank you for what you bring to my life. Thank you for hearing me the other day or trusting me with your stuff. Like, I'm just so glad that we're friends. However, you're evaluating it in your head right now as you listen to this and as you sort of mentally go through the checklist of your friends or your friend group, I hope that it is stirring something in you about who brings it out, who brings out not just your best self, but whatever self shows up in connection with that person. So we talked a little bit about this back on episode 75, who are you talking about? Which that episode was a little bit about gossip. It was a little bit about the words that we speak behind people's backs or about one another. It's That's definitely a tangent to this episode of who brings out your best self, because I think sometimes we have those friends that bring out like our worst selves, but we're also not willing to part with that friendship because, well, because there are lots of reasons why we stay in friendships that don't bring out our best selves. But I'm just acknowledging that that's a thing that happens. And again, we talked about that a few weeks ago, back earlier in the summer on who are you talking about? But when you're thinking about these different friends in your life that bring out good, bad, or neutral, or the type of friendships that you want to seek out and what type of self they will call forth, if you will, out of you, how you want to feel after interactions with friends that you already have or that you're hoping to make. I also want to bring up one more thing about old friends. 
Now, I touched on this a minute ago when I was talking about my childhood friend that I called on the phone this summer. The thing that is so special about old friends, if you are lucky enough to have had friends over the decades, especially if they knew you as children or as a young person, is that they often know you on a really core level, like a very special level. If if you're one of those people like I am who feels like in their childhood that was your truest self before the world got at you in various ways, the people who knew that truest core self of you as a child, they will always know that person. And depending on your own life story, that's either a comfort or that's something that you avoid. Maybe you don't ever want to be around people who knew you when you were young. And I understand that that's a real thing. For me, I have these special friendships that matter to me, especially because they remind me of who I really am. You know, I can wander. I'm a wanderer. I wander into different philosophies and thoughts and phases. But when I talk to these girls, now women, they just speak to me as if they're speaking to my truest self. And guess what? My truest self shows up. I kind of step out of whatever metaphorical outfit I'm wearing. And I'm just like the purest version of Lara. Because not only do they know that version of Lara, they like her. And I don't have to do any pretending. There's not much I can say that would make them not like me. I mean, I can I can show up and say something like really snarky and gross. I can confess something embarrassing and they still love me. They roll their eyes or they have genuine concern, but they can see through all of the layers of my family history, my personality, my traumas, my successes. Like they know all of those things and they can kind of see it as the whole package. One of my oldest friends, Kara, Dr. Pence, she's been on the show talking about books before. She was back on the Judy Bloom episode. She is one of those people for me. She knows me so well. She knows if I misstate something with my mouth, she knows what I meant. Another old, old friend is from summer camp. Her name's Kimmy. We ended up talking on the phone a lot this summer, which is unusual for us because we only really talk, talk a few times a year, but we ended up in some great conversations this summer and our friendship is almost like a little bit in a vacuum. We never lived in the same town. We've never even lived in the same state. We are friends from summer camp, but we have seen each other through every important stage of our life and we know one another in that deepest way. So those are two examples of old friends that have withstood the test of time. But the reason that I'm bringing up old friends is because sometimes you have to rethink them. The value to old friends is obvious, but what about when the only things that you have in common with someone are really, really old and not part of your life anymore and not something that you want to revisit even once a year? So I haven't always felt this way, but maybe this is part of being in your 40s. It has come up a few times where I was in a conversation with or I was seeing this through the lens of social media, which I realize is not always the best, but where I was realizing with a person in my life that the only thing we had in common was our past. And that can serve as a touchstone if we needed it for some reason. But in current present day, it's not enough to keep us in real relationship. I don't want to talk about some of that old stuff anymore. I don't want to talk about 
some of the old people we used to have in common. I'm ready to let go of those memories. And so when you're looking at your old friends, it helps to realize why you're holding on to one another. Is it because they know your truest, most core self and you want them to keep knowing it? You you need that reflection and you for them, of course. Or is it just because you shared an important season, you shared some important memories, but it's time to let some of that go. They are not bringing out the current you. They are not bringing out the you that you have fought hard to become. They are tugging at an older you and maybe not the best parts of the older you, maybe just like dead or unimportant parts. Holding on to those relationships for no reason other than that you think you're supposed to or out of pure nostalgia, that just doesn't always serve you. It doesn't always allow you the maximum amount of growth that you're seeking. And it doesn't always allow you to become who you're really trying to become, if that makes sense. They are bringing out shed skin instead of true self. Okay, so lastly, I want to talk about sort of the other meaning behind the phrase, who brings it out. And that is not just like who brings out your best self, but who like literally brings it out of you. Who gets you to talk? Who gets you to speak your truth, to share your stories? Do you have someone in your life who brings it out of you? Who doesn't let it go when they ask you what's wrong and you just say, nothing, I'm fine. Like who presses? Who asks the hard questions? Who is willing to go deeper with you? I'm bringing this up not just because this is like the whole crux of this whole entire podcast, 10 things to tell you, but because over the weekend I was stuck on a road trip in the car for a long time and I was doing one of those silly Instagram Q&As just to pass the time and it was fun. And someone asked, what's your best piece of marriage advice? And I have a few go-tos for this question. Not that I have any expertise in marriage. I've only been married once and I've only been in this marriage for 13 years. So there are other people to really ask that question to. But the first thing that came to my mind to answer that, I do feel like is important to pass along. I'm in my early 40s and according to my therapist and what I have witnessed with my own eyeballs, the turning 40 milestone is really common for divorce rates and for people to sort of reevaluate their marriage or their life. And so I have seen a certain pattern play out time and time again. And that is women get so deep into bad marriages thinking that something really toxic and really difficult and sometimes even abusive is normal because we are taught that quote unquote marriage is hard. We're also taught not to say anything bad about our spouses, never to speak ill of them, not to air our dirty laundry, all these different ways that we are basically told marriage is hard. We're supposed to suck it up and not talk about it. So I have seen over and over again, women who are not sharing with their girlfriends what's really happening in their marriages. And so they don't realize that they've maybe gotten themselves into a dynamic that does not fall on the average scale of marriage is hard. Now, who am I to say? People have different standards for what is hard. But I really believe 
that you should have at least one trusted friend that you can share some of your deepest, hardest things about so that they can reflect back to you if what you're saying is the regular sort of normal type of marital struggles and when it is something else. I know I'm using a lot of generalized words here, normal, regular, hard. And so you just have to judge that for yourself or for your friend. But a good friend will listen to your story of a fight or a disagreement, a situation, an ongoing pattern, and can say gently, hey, I think, you know, might be some therapy in store for you guys. Or even like, hey, you are really being irrational about this. Or hey, this has been going on for a while and it doesn't seem like it's getting better. I just want you to know that I love you and I want there to be healing here. A good friend will reflect back to you if you're able to share honestly and hold up a mirror to how long a situation has been going on, how hard it is, what seems normal or not normal about it. I just have women friends who they just didn't even know that they were being emotionally abused, manipulated, or all kinds of other situations because they were told never to talk about it. They didn't want anyone to think badly about their spouse, which is high-minded on the one hand. And I, I don't think that you should just like spill out all your marital troubles over a table full of women and margaritas. I'm talking about a trusted relationship where you can really say what's going on. Not a vent session, although it might start with that, but where you can really say like, I said this, or I think this, or they said that, and I took it like this. Do you think that's right? You know, I don't know. I hope this is making sense. But what I really want to say here is it is so helpful to have someone who brings it out of you, who won't let you just stop it. We're fine. Everything's fine. I'm not supposed to talk about it. Marriage is hard. So it's just this hard time. I know not all listeners to this show are married. So this also applies to a relationship with a boss or a parent or a roommate or a child even. But talking about your hard stuff, having someone who can bring out the hard stuff can be a relief, can be a game changer, can make you feel less alone. And I think we would all do well to take special note of those people for all of these things we've talked about today. Who brings it out in you? Who brings out your best self, your core self? Who brings out your own words? Who do you leave feeling fulfilled or inspired or just plain happy? You spent an afternoon with a friend just like belly laughing. That is so good for the soul. They bring that out in you. Maybe at a time when laughter is like harder to come by than usual. Hone in on those people. Thank them for what they bring to your life and hope that you are that person for someone else, that you are asking the questions, that you are making someone laugh. If that's your talent, it's not mine. That you are bringing out someone's best self and not their worst self. This is the assignment for the week. Pay extra attention to who brings out what in you and make more time for those who are bringing out the best. I know friendship issues bring up a lot of emotions in us good and bad, and there's loneliness. And I see with my own eyeballs that friendships are changing right now as the world is changing. It's inevitable. 
So let's seek out those that are drawing us in for their goodness, for their connection, for the alignment that they bring to your spirit. I hope that listening to me talk about these various scenarios today makes you pay more attention, makes you make your own list or acknowledgement or journal or thank you note to the people in your life who bring it out in you. Thanks for listening. Now go share something. just listen to the 10 things to tell you podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10 things to tell you.com slash podcast. And you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10 things to tell you. Remember, this is an interactive podcast. I have 10 things to tell you and you have 10 things to tell. So take this topic to your journal or a friend or post on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. These episodes are meant to bring connection with others and ourselves and spark better conversations. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.